Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Percat. You are listening to Inside Supercars. All the racing I've done, supercars and, uh, you know, all the GT and drifting and all that kind of stuff, I think it all helps. A lot of seat time and having some good times racing, it's, it's a lot of fun. As long as we don't allow some of the lunatics to um, get the keys, then uh, it'll continue to be at the, um, at the forefront uh, through hard work and diligence, particularly on the part of the team owners and investment by them. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars with Craig Lavelle and Tony Whitlock. Another big week of motorsport. Some suggest possibly the biggest week in Australian motor racing. What do you reckon, Chris? Not for me. Uh, I must admit, I don't like going to the Grand Prix. I find it uh, uh, a, a lesson in thrilling racetrack and uh yeah for me the bathurst 12 hour and clipsal are my one and two and i don't know how to split them and three of course is the 1000 indeed um of course uh, this will be the first one i've missed at the grand prix certainly the first one ever i've missed in adelaide and the first uh, agp since probably about 86 7 something like that well you I... are on the disabled list aren't you you're on the injured list Crutches and the Albert Park don't, don't appeal to me. But anyway, it's, a, it's the second fastest track and the second longest track we visit for the year. It's uh, Bathurst being, of course, the fastest and longest lap. It's uh, going to be an interesting track this year because we've got the super soft tyre there, new construction, lots of suggestions the track is going to be faster, not only for Formula One cars, with a faster car, but it'll be faster track in itself. Uh, so four races over the three days with the Thursday just practice and qualifying. Should be a great event. Can you think of any things that we're going to throw some spins into uh, what will be a V8 supercar non-points weekend? Certainly what we're going to speak to Chris Stuckey about a bit later on, the en- the engineer, the chief engineer for Lee Holsworth at uh, Charles Workholt, Preston Hire, Team 18 Racing, uh, call it what you will, But uh, and that is... That it's a super soft. Now, some teams did a lot of testing on all tyres at Eastern Creek, but others went, hmm, we've got a non-championship round before we need to put these tyres on at Tasmania. How about we wait and use the tyres at the Grand Prix? So there's going to be a few different types of uh, thought process going into how they're attacking the weekend. And that's what's going to interest me. I know when I spoke to a number of the engineers, and I'll give a plug now, Tony, for Inside Motorsport this week that speaks to Ludo, speaks to Grant McPherson, and speaks to Adam DeBore, and you'll hear how they're approaching it. And, uh, of course, Grant McPherson says, yes, we're going to be testing the soft tyre, but it's always good to be at the front. You always learn more being at the front than you do down in the middle. Yes, I'm sure they'll all be working very hard not to race to the back, but to race towards the pointy end. Um, the other big development this week is that, uh, again, Supercars has uh, taken to go for a bit of a tour around Newcastle. Just today, Scott McLaughlin joined uh, James Courtney and uh, Warburton, James Warburton, in going for a walk around the new Newcastle layout. Well, in fact, it's not the new, it's the same layout. And, of course, there's a certain amount of pressure coming from certain areas to change potentially the layout, but I think supercars are digging their heels and saying, 
this is what it's going to be. Yeah, it was very interesting to receive a, a very late Friday afternoon slash evening email from Supercars where they were quite adamant that uh, the circuit will not change, it is too late to change, and uh, then over the course of this week even, we've had people like the Lord Mayor and other councillors all coming out quite uh, vocal uh, about that we're not happy with this uh, lack of consultation and they've uh, taken to writing to Destination New South Wales to voice their concerns. It, look, I've travelled the, the track quite extensively. It's going to be a fantastic uh, event because the city has uh, got a pent-up demand, much the same way as uh, Darwin did sort of 20 years ago and Townsville did only six or eight years ago. There is a pent-up demand for some motorsport, and I'm sure that the people of the Hunter Valley and areas surrounding will gravitate towards it. Interesting also the news about a new track being built north of Newcastle, but we'll, we'll talk more when we find out more and get a hold of some of the people involved in that. The other thing uh, this weekend just gone was Sebring was on the 12 hours. Shane Van Gisbergen, I think the only uh, local driver, of course, being in New Zealand, uh, he uh, represented that country there. In, uh, again, in a Mercedes, this time in a WeatherTech team Mercedes. But he didn't get to qualify the car. It was his first visit there. The team uh, qualified eighth and uh, didn't finish in the results. They had steering problems and, and were, were out of it. But more of Shane's overseas expo- exploits uh, on the World Motorsport calendar. Um, lots of other drivers jumping into other vehicles. Yeah, it has been interesting. Uh, you have the uh, Dunlop Series champion, Gary Jacobson, who comes from a family of speedway drivers and, and spent all the summer at the sea, uh, skids. But more recently, Chaz Mostert has been running in the Australian Karting Championships and, Nirk, and Nick Perkett has also announced he'll be running at uh, Australian Karting events. So I'm, I'm quite fascinated to see how the drivers are willing to jump into karts, and I think that's a testimony to what you can learn in a in a go well, in a cart these days, um, with certainly the range of international level uh, competition and international level classes that they've got. All right, then let's get into this week's uh, interview and Chris Stuckey from Preston High Racing or Charlie's Mob or Team Eighteen uh, is going to come and talk to us and tell us about his experience in motorsport. He has a surname long associated with Dunlop. In that his father, Russell, is the uh, Victorian motorsport dealer. So after the break, it's Chris Stuckey. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page. And to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh... <laughs> Thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Yes, uh, good evening to um, Chris Stuckey. Welcome on board uh, Inside Supercars. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. Now, you, you've got a, a very interesting background. I mean, uh, a father who I've known for 25, 30 years, in, uh, and that's, I imagine, where your motorsport uh, history started? Yeah, that's right. I actually um, 
I obviously spent a lot of time with Dad at the tracks. So that's, um, yeah, I didn't know any different, I guess, as a kid. Um, so I went to all the, mainly Victorian rounds, so Calder Park, Sandown. Um, uh, not so much Phillip Island back then. I don't think that was, I can't remember the exact history of Phillip Island. But, um, yeah, the, the main Sandown sort of uh, tracks, Winton. Spent a lot of time sort of uh, hanging around the paddocks um, and basically grew up in the in the paddock to a lot of extent. Used to go to the, the racetrack all the time with him. Your father's been uh, the Victorian distributor for the Dunlop Race Tires Motorsport um, since I imagine the, the 70s, maybe 80s? Yeah, 72, in fact, right. started as a yep. state distributor and yep. that caught on uh, Victoria, then SA, uh, and then it ultimately the, the national dealer for, for quite a long time. And you obviously got the bug. I mean, it, it went beyond just uh, something to do at the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I got to meet, you know, I've still look up to all the drivers. Uh, so, I, you know, I got to meet, you know, Peter Brock and Larry Perkins, um, Dick Johnson, obviously all big names, which, you know, was always exciting. And, and even crew members, you know, being around the pits all the time. Uh, and also, Dad was obviously involved and he used to, Record all the all the races from F1. So basically, all the all the early 80s, I used to, to watch all those as well. Went back through and watched pretty much everything that he'd ever recorded. So um, yeah, I'd always been um, yeah, like you said, I had the bug from from a very early age. And, and of course, as such, you then took it to another level by going and doing an engineering degree. Yeah, that's right. Actually, I just grown up with uh, being on the tyre side, but it was quite exciting, you know, in terms of it was it did have. Um, that technical aspect to it when the tyre wall was, was on. You know, obviously there was Yokohama, Bridgestone, Dunlop, I think Hoosier at one point, but it was always quite exciting um, that side of it. And we had technicians always out from um, primarily Japan, but also England at some point. Um, so it always had that uh, technical aspect that was always quite interesting as well. But when the control tyre came, I think it was the late 90s, um, that changed the scope of our business quite a lot. And basically, it went from being sort of at the forefront of Australian motorsport or being involved in some respects to uh, to a much different role, like more so, you know, doing club rounds and, and things like that. So uh, I missed, missed sort of being a part of that and decided to go back to uni with the, with the goal of being, you know, an engineer in a professional race team. Right. So how, how did you choose the courses and how did you get through to get that qualification? Um. Well, basically, that was at the point where I think a lot of teams were starting to get sort of full-time engineers. So, um, and I didn't have, you know, I was sort of primarily focused on the on the tyre side of things. So I probably didn't have, you know, I think a lot of engineers have worked their way through teams. But I, I saw that I needed to probably get that qualification to have to have a good uh, entry into the category or into professional motorsport. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of a shock to the system going back to, to, to study full-time. But... Um, you know, it was becoming clear the pathway at that stage, um, with more professional engineers coming through. So that was that was relatively straightforward. But from there, obviously, um, uh, getting into a team, I, uh, I was fortunate enough to have quite good contacts, obviously through my dad, and, and people would generally recognise my name. So it wasn't too hard to get um, to get into a, a development team, which was Tony Dovetto Racing, while I was at uni. And I was I spent uh, most of 2006 and 2007 with them, uh, and when, actually that led to a full time role in 2008 when they went to the main game. So I was actually quite fortunate, and it was and Al Delberto and my father had gone way back as well. I think Al was working with uh, in sports sedans 
uh, back in the 80s, I guess. Well, of course, Alberto has uh, infamy in my world because he was number two mechanic on Frank Gardner's Chev Corvair. Ah, uh, yes, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's... And obviously, um, yeah, obviously sports at Antires, my dad was heavily involved in that category as well. So, yeah, that's... As soon as I spoke to Al, um, yeah, he obviously knew my father well and um, and gave me the time of day and said, no worries, we'll, we'll be glad to have you on board as a volunteer. So it all went from there. So you, you started in a one-car team and you're, you're back now in a one-car team. Yes, yes, it's um, it does... And it's, it's probably it's probably brought up a few things that I recall from being a one car team. Um, so it is different, you know. It's, it seems quite simple being one car, but um, with the bigger teams, it, there's obviously a lot more. Um, I guess the resource, you know, you've got more engineers to bounce ideas off. Um, you know, you can you can correlate data better. You can um, you know cover more areas of the car working together. Uh, whereas the one car team, you, you've pretty much, you know, a test day, you, you've got one program and it's it and you've got to try and, um, yeah, your timeline is, is, is obviously a lot different. Even just having another engineer to bounce ideas off is, um, can be, can be beneficial as well. So when you, uh, went from Dalberto's, did you then go to Stone Brothers? Uh, Brad Jones Racing after Dalberto's. Oh, okay. I worked with, um, Carl Reinler in 2011. Right. And, and then David Wall in 2012. Yep. And from there, I went to what was Stone Brothers and at the time was sort of uh, morphing into Erebus Motorsport. Yes, yeah. Right. How did you find that morph? To Queensland? No, and to, er- to Erebus? Uh, to Erebus. Well, that was uh, pretty much got thrown in the deep end because obviously that project had just come on board to, um, to change to Mercedes. So the team, had, that call had come relatively late, as you'd know. So... Um, that was that was a, an, an interesting experience. It was quite rewarding, and um, and I learned a lot. Met a lot of good guys up in Queensland there. So I've had quite a solid team. But um, yeah, from building those cars, basically, when I arrived, first day I was there, actually, they were I arrived for first day of work, and and basically the whole team had been working through the night as uh, the shakedown was uh, to happen that same day. So, and obviously from then on forwards, even once the season started, it was. It was um, there was a lot of work being done to develop the cars, and but from from earlier in that year or early in the season, around mid-season, they started to, to come together quite well. Um, so yeah, it was an interesting experience. It was certainly um, a bit of an eye opener. Well, interesting experience is the man standing in your pit bunker who rules the the roosters at Triple Eight at Team Eighteen rather is Jeff Gretsch. Um, a fascinating history. The only man who's actually ever chewed me out at uh, race track and had me Bathurst. He's done it twice to me. But a man with enormous skill, enormous talent, and enormous experience. So, I mean, you must find it very refreshing having someone of that sort of nature in your pit. Yeah, that, that's right. Uh, I'd never, I'd never worked with Jeff before, but um, I know a lot of people who, who had. And there's probably, you know, obviously he's worked his way through, you know, a great era and um, yeah, quite, quite a long time also. So yeah, just having um, just some of the challenges we've faced already. Um, you know, you get the feeling that um, you know sometimes it can be, you know, well, you've got some big decisions to make, but you know it can be put into perspective by someone like that who's you know faced these challenges, you know, many times over the years and, and put in perspective. And and quite often with those guys, they had a they had a, you know, they came out of it quite strong and competitive and had a and a lot of winning periods. They 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 were able to achieve after that sort of a 
you know, crossroads type moments. So yeah, it's good to, um, it's definitely, it's a big picture sort of, um, thing you get, you get from Jeff, absolutely. I remember so vividly all those uh, mid to late 90s and then the early 2000s of those HRT cars rolling out of a truck and just being fast right on. I suppose the other thing is great, you know, got somebody there who knows when there's a windscreen's dirty, what not to do. Uh, a la Sandown, uh, that year when, when Gretsch just threw a bucket of water on the windscreen and took it out. Yes, yeah, I do, I do recall vaguely that... Um that uh, story, yes, I guess everyone's learned from, from that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Looking now at uh, your team heading to uh, the Grand Prix, um, it, it's a, a vastly different track to where you were last weekend. And so you yep. must be looking forward to the big open space of Albert Park. Yeah, absolutely. It's And obviously first time on the super soft tyre as well. Um, yeah, really different. We're actually working through um, some different tools with the car, which... We didn't quite get on top of at Adelaide, but going to the Grand Prix, we feel a bit more confident with those. That um, so we that this type of track, you know, F1 grade type track, um, quite open, long circuit, lots of big braking. We feel that um, we should be in a better position to to sort of get a bit more of an understanding of what we've got here. So it's it's good in that sense. You know, it's we obviously really want to do well, but um, without the pressure of championship points and it's. You know, we get four sets of new tyres, four qualifying sessions and, and four races. So it does give you, with, with ample time in between, so it does give you plenty of opportunity to, um, you know, whether, you know, trying, trying things or just trying to get uh, a good understanding of where you're at. What does it mean if this race gets changed into a championship round, Chris? Uh, well, it's obviously changed the format quite a lot because at the moment it's, it's um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of idle time, I guess. Uh, whereas the championship rounds are quite intense. So um, that's more so than anything. Obviously, we still put a lot of preparation into the event. I don't think anyone goes in thinking it's going to be easy or taking their foot off. Everyone's really trying hard. And, um, so I don't think in terms of that, that respect, it would, it would change massively. Uh, I think it's still be, you know, everyone wants to do well. And if it's a championship, there's obviously more on the line. But, you know, everyone still wants to push their, put their best foot forward regardless. As a format this year for the Grand Prix, is that giving you more scope for strategies? Uh, not so much. Qualifying, perhaps. Uh, qualifying used to be, you know, the, the all-in 30-minute session, which around the 5.3k track is doesn't give you a lot of laps. But here, having the four individual sessions and, and time in between, it does give you perhaps time to back-to-back um, certain aspects of the car if you wanted to, or... Conversely, if you just wanted to fine-tune through those sessions and try and just chip away at it, it gives you that opportunity as well. So it does change your qualifying strategy quite a bit. Um, and it, it's, it's quite good to get, you know, four green sets of tyres. You know, you can roll through those quite well. Um, I think that's, I think the teams would be sort of relishing that opportunity because obviously it doesn't always happen like that. Did you change your t- testing strategy at, uh, at Eastern Creek or did you look at your testing strategy quite differently because you knew you had the Grand Prix non-championship round before you had the serious run on these tyres before at uh, Tasmania? Uh, we, we did consider it. We did consider it. There was also an option to test at Winton uh, in the lead-up. So we probably looked more so that, uh, you know, tyre-wise, there was, we were going to a hard tyre round and then, uh, sorry, a soft tyre and now going to a super soft round at the Grand Prix. Uh, but... 
there was a, lot, a few factors at, at testing at Sydney Motorsport Park being obviously really hard on tyres. Um, we had quite a big bank of the 2016 spec tyre. Uh, there were quite a few things to consider. Um, so probably more of those rather than um, than having the soft and the super soft round at the Grand Prix. Uh, yeah, it was. there were quite a few discussions internally. I'm sure I wasn't the only one. Uh, just how best to manage your, your tyre bank, um, being in a track that was so hard on tyres. So that probably dominated it. The plan more so than anything else. Well, thank you very much, Chris. We, we hope you have a, a great and successful weekend, uh, the uh, Grand Prix, um, and that uh, you've only got what a, a two-week break into Tasmania. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, it's it's an interesting one because you feel like the drivers can be let off the leash a bit without being a championship round, but at the same time, you've got to put the cars on a boat to Tasmania in, in a very short time, so you can't afford any damage in that respect. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep it clean and hopefully get some good pace and some good results. With, um, and um, Lee went really well at Simmons last year, so hopefully we can uh, head in that direction. And, and you're enjoying working with Lee? Yeah, Lee, oh, he's, you know, he's actually a good guy, Lee. That's, that's the thing about him. He's sort of a, he's a father of two young kids as well. Um, and he's, you know, a really good peddler. So I'm hoping that together, you know, we can uh, really get a good understanding of each other and, and head in a, in a good direction where, whereby, you know, there's an understanding where you don't have to... Well, I know a lot of driving engineers talk about it, but it's, it's so critical. And, and starting a new season, you sort of uh, probably come from different backgrounds and different pages, but hopefully soon we can really get on the same page and, uh, and then just click from there. You need to get developer shorthand, don't you, so that you don't have to go through the whole sentence. You can just go to a couple of words and bingo, you're on it. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Well, thank you again, Chris. Um, give Charlie a kick in the shins for me. I'm sure he'll enjoy that. <laughs> and uh, we yeah. Yep, we will do. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks very much for Chris Stuckey because that was a fascinating insight into the world of engineering and it is one that is just expanding all the time. Uh, Chris has an uh, interesting background in that he's been around race tyres for his father and the Dunlop uh, Victorian distribution since uh, the early 70s. Um, so he really did have that background that led him into the engineering of these cars. I know after the break we want to talk a bit more about the engineering of a supercar. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie's tour at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself... Of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard and you're listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome back. It certainly is fascinating to reflect on Chris's history and background, how he ended up now back with a single car team as he had started all those years earlier with with Tony D'Alberto um, and the, the fact that he arrived at Erebus almost, I think it was the same day they'd come back from their first shakedown run. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think time will be an interesting one for the full story on the Mercedes program because Dave Stewart and that entire engineering group, Ross Stone, 
they have got some fantastic stories that I know we've both privately spoken to different people about. And uh, I don't. I, I think when all the when we can talk a bit more freely about everything that went on, I think people will be surprised just how much potential that Mercedes project had, and and uh, also how arrogant the Germans were towards what uh, what Ross Stone and the engineering team in Australia would be able to do if they only just uh, consulted with them further. Once well, uh, once the Australians took over running that team, uh, running a lot of the program there, uh, the cars got considerably better. Yes, there was that, that wonderful story, which I know was, it might have been apocryphal, but it was also true that they didn't believe the horsepower torque figures they were getting out of a five-litre Ford pushrod and took the engine back to Germany, stuck it on their dyno, and then went, oh, my God, mein Himmel, they have <laughs> horsepower. Uh, which they could never achieve those same sort of figures in their, from their engines. No, and that's exactly right. And, uh, and you know, that was a pushrod engine compared to, a, what was it, a quad cam, I think the Mercedes was. So and the, with a flat plane crank in it. Mm. And, and, of course, even the fuel injection. They came back to Australia and said, what's that? And, and someone in there said, that's our, you know, that's our Ford fuel injection and they're going, that can't work. And eventually they went over to the more standard fuel injection system and found more yeah. power as well. So I think when we get a chance, Dave Stewart would be a great guy to have on just to talk about that period because uh, there are so many stories, but I don't know that he can tell them all yet. Yes, and of course he probably restricted also in his new role as being technical director that he may not be able to. <laughs> but some of those... Yeah, I'm also interested, Tony, uh, in your thoughts too about the Grand Prix going to potentially become a championship round. Is that good or bad for the sport? Look, I, I think it's good for the sport in that it's a different sort of track, so therefore it's one of those things that, you know, there's so many drivers. I mean, you know, we can take our current champion, Van Gisberg, and he rates the championship more, more than he does winning a Bathurst, winning any of the events. It's the overall being able to perform at all the different venues, all the different tracks, the different types of corners, and the different services even that we go to. And so adding the Grand Prix is just another different variation on the theme of bitumen hardtop. It's not a street track. It's not just a road course on a very open road course. So I think that there are certainly many things to be gained from adding that one as a championship race. If you're going to put the car on a track... You're obviously going to be spending money to run those cars, so why not get points for it? But supercars are treated like such a second-class citizen. Is it fitting to have uh, a championship round where you are the undercard? Well, you, you probably need to put it in perspective, of course, that the majority of people who pay to go to see a Formula 1 race in most other countries in the world, they're treated like second-class citizens because they sit in grandstands for hours on end not seeing anything on track. You know, someone who goes to an Australian race, and it's happened since 1985, we have more events that happen over a Grand Prix weekend in Australia than most other events in the world. You know, and so that, uh, you know, it, it, the calendar itself for Formula One is a very tight calendar through the year. They're going, rushing from one weekend to another weekend. The... the supercar calendar is better in that it is slightly more spread out than in Formula One, but it's still 
means that the teams have to be prepared as they will after the Grand Prix to you know, get their cars fixed up and hope to head to Tasmania. Um, I think the teams really have gone past the stage where they're feeling like second-rate citizens because you know, they do have now their own Grand Prix uh, pit, pit lane and while they do have to cover up their logos, to a large extent, the teams are, are looked after. They, they do have vast periods of their weekends that are standing around, rushing to stand around again. But, you know, that's life. Indeed, indeed. And, uh, well, it'll be interesting this weekend just to see how it plays out because we did see that fantastic podium for Triple Eight Racing last year, didn't we, when all three of them were standing up on top? Yes, indeed. And, and I'm sure it's something that many, many teams don't want to see replicated. It'll be interesting to watch how they go about doing that. Coming up after the break, we'll give our final thoughts. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at the Freeway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Hi, I'm Craig Lance. Hi, I'm Dale Wood and you're listening to Supercars Today. And welcome back to Inside Supercars. It's a fascinating week in the build-up to the Grand Prix this weekend. One of the things that is interesting, Craig, is um, the development of the white-black black hats. In It was quite distinct some years back when we had Russell Scaife and... Uh, Russell Scaife. <laughs> <laughs> Russell and Mark Scaife, that was another person. Um, and, and it was quite, uh, the, the, the pit lane was almost quite divided as to who was the good guy and who was the bad guy. Um, that sort of hasn't evolved yet. We've seen Shane Van Gisbon move from where he was not liked by many in pit lane to where now he's much admired by most because he's a racer. But we haven't seen the development of the black hat man yet. No, and that's been missing for some time. I, I know that you really do need to have white hat, black hat. Alan Moffat and, and Peter Brock, the halcyon years of Australian Touring Car Championship, was exactly that. There was a, a definite person that you could get behind, whether you're on one side or the other. It was help that they ran Ford and Holden. But uh, until we can get some more, and, and unfortunately, if you do want to try and be a bit controversial or uh, or say something, you're fined or uh, badgered out of the team you're in because uh, you have uh, said something that's politically incorrect. Well, maybe we'll see that develop over this weekend. And your final thought, Craig? My final thought is if anyone has been following the Newcastle Herald, you might be confused at what their position is with this V8, uh, with the supercar race coming there. It seems... One day at the Newcastle Herald, it's a very pro, excited, let's get this uh, event happening story. And then the very next day or a few hours later, there's a, a, a very, very negative connotation to the story. And I don't know what that's going to play out, not being a Novocastrian. I don't know how that's going to play out. But at the moment, it seems like uh, there's very, very distinct divides between the uh, journalists in 
the uh, Newcastle Herald, and you have to wonder what effect that might have to flow on. We saw, in my opinion, a very low turnout of Adelaide people at Clipsal. I think the interstate numbers were still great, but I think the Adelaide people didn't turn up, and that had a low count. We've seen in Sydney they don't turn up, and that gives you a low crowd count. Could this bickering, if it doesn't get cleaned up soon, mean that people will stay away? Well, it'll certainly be a developing story. Um, it'll also be interesting to see how the crowds go this weekend. The weather looks to be good, although there may be a way of uh, three days of racing. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how the crowds develop because they have been uh, slightly down in the last few years. Mm. But all that and more we'll look on next week and inside supercars. So thanks, Craig, for another week. Thanks, Tony. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from him. Good night. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.